0: The Transport by Alex Ames. You are listening to The Transport, a sci fi military action thriller audiobook podcast, written and performed by Alex Ames. The music throughout the podcast is the song The Last True Boss by Kumiku, available on the freemusicarchive.org. Welcome to episode 3 of The Transport. Settle in wherever you're sitting comfortably, get a trot on when you are exercising, relax another 3 chapters of The Transport awaits you. My name is Alex Ames, I am just here to remind you of 3 things. If you like what you hear and like to support me by the book The Transport, it's available almost everywhere. If you like my style of writing, check out my other books. You'll find them on my webpage at www.alexames.net. If you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any episodes, head over to your favorite podcast service and subscribe to the podcast. The links are either available on my homepage or simply run a search. Episodes come out every Monday. And off we go with the story. We left off last week with Leo Parker, a lowly data programmer at Legion Analytics. He came to work in the morning and encountered the woman of his dreams arriving at her first day of work, Eva. But she is so out of reach, Leo doesn't keep his hopes up. In the meanwhile, Herbert in the secret lab in the Legion analytics basement fought it out with his boss after the syringe attack had failed. But eventually he managed to subdue his boss and stuffed him into a bathtub. He pours in some milky fluid and something green, something alive that seems to attack his boss in the bathtub. Sina, meanwhile, and her special transport team were led into the side hangar of the secret lab and laid eyes on the object for the first time. And all thought the same. This object is not from here. And off we go. Chapter 7 Charles. Charles settled back in his chair and put his hands on the table. He had no notes, the gatekeeping facts were all in his memory. A gatekeeper never writes anything down, was one of his mentor's rules when he had handed over Tin can to Charles. During the night of July 12, 1952, an object crashed in a remote spot in the New Mexico desert. As this was during the Korean conflict and the Cold War ramp-up, we had a significant presence in that desert to perform bomb tests, to run trials on plane technologies and play with rockets. The object came down in the middle of nowhere, but got detected immediately, not by radars, but by most earthquake Richter counters globally. The object turned out to be a single piece of structure, not Russian, not from Earth. Stop talking about structures, objects and riddles, the president said. An UFO came falling from the sky and we've kept it hidden for the last 70 plus years, Charles simplified the story. The president and his national security advisor stared at Charles. Son, who can confirm that you are a real gatekeeper and not a nutcase able to fool the military to prepare a cockeyed operation in New Mexico? The president asked. I have a safe at the Washington Millennium Bank that contains the gatekeeper authorizations for tin can. It does not state my name, but they can check authenticity against the Green Book, Charles said. The Green Book was an ever-changing code directory with an authentication and challenge code for ongoing planned and deferred operations and core military functions. The president exchanged glances with Nuna Patel, who shrugged. We'll check after this meeting but all authorizations provided by Charles so far were valid. The UFO collided with our planet? The president gave Charles a death stare that clearly said, shit me not. Our scientists are pretty sure it was not a collision like an asteroid hitting Earth. With the amount of energy in play, such collision would have caused a catastrophic event for Earth. Think about a bullet through a melon. No, judging from the object's weight and resulting impact crater, the thing had dropped from the sky by mere gravity. Maybe it had hovered in orbit and had some failure that caused it to ground. We have no way of knowing. The president stood up and paced the floor. You want to tell me there is an UFO in our possession? All this crazy Area 51 Roswell captured alien myth stuff is true? The Area 51 Roswell myth is the basis of a lot of conspiracy theories and X-Files episodes. My predecessors even have intentionally misinformed interested parties feeding the myth as a distraction. Lancing some tidbits here, placing an unfocused black and white photo there, point eyes and rumors to an altogether different base. Charles explained. UFO? Yes. We have one in our possession. Alien body? I don't know. Maybe there's a separate gatekeeper taking care of the inhabitants of the spaceship. You have no way of knowing until he or she reappears from the Shroud of Secrecy like I did. Now you will show me a photo of the real thing? There are no photos of the object. You're kidding me. 70 years of UFO in our possession and no photo? Charles shook his head. The secret survived Cold War spies, curious soldiers, over-eager scientists and Apple's invention of the smartphone. A lot of effort went into controlling the information flow. Photos are difficult to keep secret and no one believes them anyway anymore. However... One scientist created a verbal description for briefings like this one. Let's hear it. Charles concentrated. The object is 40 feet at its highest point, 80 feet long at about 60 feet wide at the widest point. One of the sides, we call it the underside, is completely flat. From afar, the shape resembles the famous Ayers Rock, a large smooth hump. It weighs around 2,500 metric tons. Charles briefly interrupted himself. That is about the weight of six jumbo jets at maximum configuration and load. The surface is smooth. There are no features whatsoever, no nooks, no damages, no windows, no visible sensors, no mechanical elements absolutely nothing. It defines ultimate perfection. The object's shell is the hardest material ever encountered. No material on earth even leaves a scratch. Same goes for any chemical, biological or physical process tested. The most striking feature is the absence of any color. It is the blackest of black ever encountered. The material does not reflect anything. No electromagnetic ray penetrates the material, but at the same time neither does it reflect it. The material is the smoothest material ever encountered. Nothing sticks. Neither dust particles nor the most capable insects are able to hold on to it. We do not know what is inside of the object. We were never able to open it. Charles looked at his small audience. That's it. The description was created in 1984, no additions since then. After a brief pause he added, There is sort of an anecdotal side remark, a personal observation by one of the long-time investigating scientists in the 80s. 30 years and we know nothing. The aseptic bubble room was quiet for a moment. Charles was done with his explanation and his audience digested the incredible news. The blackest of black, the president said, more to himself. Sounds almost like a poem. We know nothing. Someone clearly must have been frustrated. What is your take, Nuna? The security advisor, who had a degree in physics, shook her head. Must have been a dream job for any scientist involved. And a big letdown when they achieved nothing. Absolutely fascinating. But somehow logical, if indeed it is a spaceship, then it must have an extraordinary hardness and density. Not the flimsy stuff we shoot up into space because we need to save weight to overcome gravity and it must contain technologies that are far beyond our capabilities. So, you believe Charles? Oh yes, absolutely, I will verify of course. The president chewed on the information for a moment, shook his head briefly and turned back to Charles. Go on with your tin can story. Let me give you the historical timeline. In 1952, the object arrived. A secret base was built in the following years when it became clear that we had a major find on our hands. Located about 40 miles southwest from the town of Veracity, New Mexico. In 1954, the object was moved into Hangar 3 of the new base, one of the most difficult operations of its time due to the size and weight of the object. Remember the large units that carried the moonshot Apollo rockets to the ramp? They were originally developed for the transfer of tin can. The object was inspected for the next 30 years by the brightest minds of the USA, UK, France and Japan. In 1984 it was decided that no progress could be made. The scientists created a final report Tin can was mothballed, and everyone went back to the drawing board. We have an extraterrestrial spaceship in our possession, and we stopped researching it? The president looked disbelievingly at Charles. That makes no sense. Did we run out of money? Sir, we ran out of ideas. Thirty years, and we know nothing, Charles cited again. What about that final report that must have contained something? You've essentially heard the final report through my mouth, half a page. The full documentation, every test and measurement ever run on tin can, is stored at the New Mexico site. At least, that's what my predecessor told me. We never were able to understand what the object was. Lots of theories, sure but the object would not give us a single answer. And we are sure that this is a spaceship and not some sort of asteroid, Patel asked. Yes, the flat underside clearly has some sort of function. No nature made object would have this feature. Additionally, the surface defies anything else ever seen coming from cosmic space. It's simply too perfect, but in the end, This remains a speculation, too, as we were never able to look inside the object. What happened after 1984? Nuna Patel asked. At selected research offices around the globe, some brilliant heads started to think about different approaches. The president looked at Charles. I guess this is where you come in? Yes, that is the reason why I got into action recently. Charles breathed in deeply to steady his nerves. The report called tin can's outer shell the hardest material ever encountered. Density and energy absorption coefficient makes it a super hard shell, but density is just a state of mass. And mass, as we know from Albert Einstein, is just a form of energy. To overcome. The energetic fabric of the spaceship's shell. You simply need more energy. A new category of energy. Crack the eggshell harder and it will break eventually, the president simplified. Exactly, sir. And where will this energy come from? Have you heard about HEPCOL, the high energy proton collider the president completed? Four billion dollars, the biggest machine on the planet. I joined Obama cutting the ribbon in 2016 when I was still a senator. President Clinton signed off on this international scientific initiative in 1993 and secured the long-term funding. Official story was to bring America on par with the Europeans who were extending their own CERN in Switzerland a ring tunnel with a diameter of 30 miles underneath the desert of New Mexico. A racetrack for atomic particles. It has its own atomic power plant to generate the necessary energy. New Mexico, I see a punchline coming up. That's right, Mr. President, HEPCOR was intentionally built close to the storage place of the object. Due to the geological setup, it couldn't be built nearer, hence the transport of Tin Can from its longtime base to the collider site. Isn't the collider site crawling with scientists from all over the world? How can you keep Tin Can secret in such an environment? Patel asked. The construction plans of HEPCOL foresaw a guarded subside, a second outlet of the proton beam from its ring structure. Officially, it's labeled as backup for the proton detectors and sensors. Only a small group of trusted scientists will run the tests when the time is ready and Tin Can is in place. Tin can's presence will not affect the regular Hapcol experiments. The president got an idea where the conversation was really going. Clinton signed off on a bill that poured billions and billions of dollars into a science experiment that in reality was a part of a covert alien spaceship project. Someone needed to take the next step necessary to open up the spaceship. Big things need big solutions, Charles shrugged. The president whistled and shook his head again. We spent billions of dollars in almost three decades to build a glorified can opener. Chapter eight. Herbert. The thrashing subsided, and Carling swam groggily in the now reddish fluid. Herbert hoped that the injuries of his leader were not too serious, as Carling would need his strength for the coming 36 hours. Herbert went over to the strewn syringes on the floor, searched among all the broken stuff, found an undamaged one and injected it to Carling's arm. The first roofy shot was disabled, and the second shot with a stimulant brought the host around. And indeed, after two minutes, Carling had his eyes open, and after five minutes, climbed slowly out of the bathtub by himself, shivering from the cold and the shock. Thin bands of blood ran down his legs, Herbert handed him a towel. Shit, that hurts! Carling groaned and gently dried himself between the legs. I almost forgot how inconvenient those hosts can be. It's been a long time, Supreme Commander. Welcome back, Herbert said. He was less worried now. The first conversion always was the most crucial one, as the organizer had to run things alone. After that... With four hands, things got considerably easier. Not a very robust species, Carlin complained. He was dried up now, still naked, and started to flex his muscles, move his limbs and roll his head. He closed and opened his fingers, guest and host, acquainting each other. You are still bleeding, Supreme Commander. Herbert fetched another towel and a diaper from the pack in the corner. Carling cleaned up again, slipped into the diaper and dressed himself. We are in time, Carling asked. Yes, all good, Herbert assured him. You will ask senior management next? Carling nodded. That's the plan. Cut off the head. He checked his appearance. Looking good? I should have installed a mirror, Herbert thought. The real deal, the diaper's bulk shows underneath your chinos, if you look closely, and your host's gait might have changed, but that can't be helped, better than a bloody spot between your legs. Don't forget to check for leakage and change the diaper after some hours. He moved to another table and handed Carling blister packs of over-the-counter medications against pain, inflammation and fever. Take two of each now and one more every six hours, otherwise you might get too distracted by your injuries. Carling swallowed and pocketed the reserve. Are we good on syringes after the mess? Didn't do a count yet, but we might need to improvise for some conversions. For the rest of the day we should be okay. Tomorrow morning will be harder. His commander did not frown, but he corrected his posture, which Herbert interpreted as unhappiness. Lead me to the weapons, Carling asked. Commander, shouldn't you get on the way to fetch the next host? Carling stared Herbert down. Your supreme commander has given you an order. Herbert swallowed his flaring annoyance and walked to the door leading deeper into the lab. This whole chain of command thing was something to get used to after such a long time on his own. He opened another door further down, leading to a third connected room. Boxes over boxes of equipment were stapled along the wall. Herbert moved from stack to stack, opening each top box. Tech-30 machine pistols for closer combat, or with range extenders, suppression kits and extra-large magazines. Two 50mm long-distance rifles. My predecessor sighted them in 20 years ago. They need some prolonged training. We might have time to train after the takeover. 50 attack rifles, Heckler HK 416, lather sight, low light amplifier, special armor penetrating ammunition. This will be the weapon of choice for the non-trained staff. The special material? Without a word, Herbert opened another oversized box and stood back. The deadly load lay before the men. Carling smiled. Satisfactory. Crude, though. Throwing metal and explosives through the air by burning chemical ingredients? Herbert shrugged, but efficient. Aptly called Javelin. Almost no training needed. Point, have the electronics acquire the target and shoot. Works well with a host's fatal vision and motor skills. And the blanket, fully charged? Ready to use. Seventy earth years does nothing to the energy crystals. "'Herbert pointed at the last item in the room. "'A box about the size of a funeral casket, "'made of what looked like silvery brushed metal. "'Carling touched the lid, "'and a few seconds later some metallic icons flashed on the surface. "'He pressed a diagnostics icon and various additional symbols appeared. "'Very well. "'We should put it on the roof for optimal effect.' That's the plan, Supreme Commander, Herbert agreed. Sometimes bosses enjoyed stating the obvious and repeat standard procedures as their own decisions. Herbert had seen it among humans, too. Maybe Carling's host already influenced the Supreme Commander more than expected. Well, I should go now. Daryl is next, Carling asked. Yes i clean up this mess and prepare the next conversion,'' Herbert waved at the syringe mess on the floor. Carling walked towards the door, bouncing with each step, stretching his arms, doing some mock boxing swings. He turned back to Herbert. ''Not so bad, such an upright body. Two hands, always free for other activities. Great overview, too.'' Hi, Alex Ames here. Sorry for the little interruption. This story will continue momentarily. If you like a good thriller, check out my 2020 novel, COVID Trouble. COVID Trouble is a novel in my ongoing troubleshooter series featuring the corporate troubleshooter Paul Trouble. Covid trouble takes place in Paris, France after the first lockdown of 2020, just when life seems to normalize again during the worldwide life-threatening pandemic. And France is getting ready for some well-earned summer vacations. Someone is poisoning supermarkets with the virus. Is it a lunatic? Is it a terrorist act? Paul Trouble will find out. A lot of bullets will fly. There are car chases, gunfights, rooms full of dead people, deadly fire traps, and many, many, many ways to die. COVID Trouble is available as ebook at most online retailers and as paperback at Amazon and some other retailers. Check it out, it's a ride. It's inspired by the current events of that crazy, crazy year 2020. COVID Trouble is the name, Alex Ames, the author. That being said, by the book. And now let's jump back into the transport. Chapter 9 Leo. The current boss of the data analytics department had changed two things after he had started about three months ago. First, he had renamed the department to Rapid Analytics. Time is money, folks. Quicker results in the hands of our scientists means earlier revenues. Second, the new boss had introduced agile project management and enforced a daily stand-up routine. Pity it's not daily stand-up comedy. Leah would have liked that. He was good with one-liners. Instead, every morning at nine thirty, the data analy- uh, rapid analytics team would gather round the large status board that contained small cards with new impending tasks, and everyone would give a short update to the rest of the gang. Leo hated this waste of time. Why would anybody be interested in the analysis task of anyone else? An analysis was an analysis, and in this company, yesterday's analysis was the same as the new one tomorrow. Standard stuff, no challenge. Extract, load, transform, report over and out. They were drones in a hive, after all. He is ordinary, the Foo Fighters played in Leo's head. Leo? The boss queried, snapping him out of his head-banging musical dream. Yeah, uh, today I plan to finish the PC-34 report. It needs some data remapping. After that, I'll take the next assignment from the board. TP-133, if you are okay with it. TP 133 is better with uh, Stacy, the boss suggested. He was always micromanaging the team's assignments, the opposite of the agile organization approach. Leo could see from his colleague's vacant look that she didn't care one way or the other. But the boss liked Stacy, and the TP 133 was cutting edge stuff and the future cash cow of the company. Good exposure for her. Perhaps the boss wanted to get into her pants. Good luck, man. I've seen a hunk of a husband. All right, then. It is the quality threshold report for me. It's on backlog for a week already, Leo said, trying his best to sound eager everyone but the boss knew that this one was called the surfer because it was five minutes of work thanks to a genius data collection automation script that allowed you to surf the internet for the remains of the day the only merciful thing about the stand-up it was over quickly leo sat down behind the screen and started the download procedures to get the last month's log That would take a few minutes, time enough to grab another coffee. The water cooler talk was all about the two mysterious ladies, even among the female co-workers. Leo poured his coffee, threw in some chatter, walked back in slow motion and was just about to sit down again, his mind still circling around the way the hot babe had walked up to the entrance. His boss popped his head into Leo's cubicle. You got a minute? About to finish up with the PC-34 bus. Needs to wait for another few hours. Could you get down to HR, please? They found us a new analyst, the former Starkey position. I want you to handle the onboarding. Sure thing. Leo took a sip from his coffee mug, settling in his chair. Now, Leo... He walked down the long corridor that was the central artery of Cubicleville on the second floor, and took the elevator down to first. The head of HR had the luxury of a single office. The door was open and Leo knocked on the doorframe. Leo, thanks for coming, the HR manager waved him in. Leo almost had a heart attack. In the HR manager's office sat the black-haired biker chick. Hotter than hell. The air bore heavy traces of sweet perfume and leather, and the HR manager's desperation sweat. This here is Eva, he had to glance at the CV. Eva Smith. She's starting as a database admin. Eva, this is Leopold Parker from our data and um, rapid analytics team. That guy was useless, he didn't even know whom he was recruiting for what position. Eva turned to Leo and gave him a dazzling friendly smile, her teeth like little pearls inside her mouth. Leo's knees started feeling wobbly. Sure, what do you need me to do, he managed to say, without stuttering, super careful in his choice of words, not to produce any Freudian slips. Did I say do, as in I'd like to do her? Can do be misinterpreted in any way? You are familiar with all our databases, I heard. So could you please be point for Eva's onboarding? What? Leo awoke from a state of babe-induced awesomeness. Yes, absolutely. This was like a million-dollar Powerball win. Make that a billion dollars. Working together with this babe. All week. Hot, hot, hot. And cold showers every morning and evening. The word boring no longer exists for Mr. Ordinary. Great, that's settled. The HR manager turned to Eva. I think we are good here. You have excellent references and a perfect score in the network professional certification exams. You will do well here. He stood up and held out his hand towards Eva. The girl looked at the hand for a second, as if contemplating, shake... No shake? Then she got up without shaking. Thank you, sir. I already feel at home. The HR manager pulled his hand back gracefully and made a presenting motion towards Leo with his hands to save face. I leave you in Leo's hands. Don't forget the paperwork, best hand it in before you leave tonight. Eva did not answer him, took the small stack of papers in front of her, and turned to Leo let's go, Leo. And out of the door she was. "Eh, Don't you want to, Leo started, had to swallow, shrugged at the HR manager and followed the attractive, tightly fitting jeans of his new assignee. Wait, wait, Leo had to run after her. Man, that girl could walk fast. He was already out of breath. You don't know your way around here you show me around? Eva agreed and continued walking down the corridor as if she had a clear destination in mind. Yes, and first stop is the security office. You need your photo taken and the badge made. No badge, no access, no access, no identity, no identity, no soup for you, he cited the famous Seinfeld's quip. Soups, the name of your database? Without a comment, Eva pivoted at the emergency staircase through the door and walked downstairs to the ground floor. Leo still had trouble keeping up, painfully reminded that he was totally and utterly out of shape. How do you know where to go? He wheezed. The security offices are always beside the main reception and I passed it on my way in, Eva said. Ah, yes, a little slower, please, he puffed. Eva slowed down to half the speed, and Leo ran into her. It was like running into a truck. She did not even sway even a bit. Ouch! Are you a boxer or bodybuilder? Leo exclaimed. She smelled of leather and shampooed hair, and Leo felt dizzy from the brief contact. He could kiss PC-34 bye-bye. No way in hell he would be able to concentrate to finish that report any time today. You asked me to step slower, Eva said. No, I'm not a boxer and not a bodybuilder. You could have fooled me, Leo rubbed his rib cage where her shoulder had hit him. Go on, through the door and to the right. I know, I told you. Yes, you did, young Padawan, Leo said. That gave a small smile from the girl, worth about a million dollars. One hour later. Where did you go to college? Leo attempted small talk while they waited for Eva's newly installed computer to run through the first time updates. She looked up from her paperwork. Leo saw that she was a quick walker and observer, but handwriting was not her 40. The letters were all in caps and she was still in the address section on the first page. Cal State, LA, Computer Sciences, and you? Computer sciences too. I'm a fly of a country product, Kansas State, Leo said. Moved out here for the job some years ago. And you master all the databases? I master all the important databases, Leo said. I don't care about the HR or financial system, but for science and research, our core business? Sure, I work with all of them. Ever analyzed biostatistical data and gene analysis results? She hesitated. I did, but probably not in the same way as you. Genes are genes and trials are trials. What can be different at our competitors? Cross-species splicing, master integration matrix, multidimensional adjunctivity. Yeah, I think you'll fit in well with some R&D ad hacks from third and fourth floor, Leo remarked, not understanding a word she had said. Aren't you an egghead too? Eva cocked her head at him. I'm a geek. She looked at him a little longer. Something going on behind those large brown eyes of hers. The same small smile as before appeared and vanished and Leo could have killed to see it again. Then she turned back to her forms. After a moment, Leo was able to tear his gaze away from this beautiful creature and started to install the necessary software on her workstation. Concentrating very hard to remove that girl from his fantasies. Failing utterly. Another hour later, Eva received her designated database accesses. Leo showed her the documentation and left her alone for a while to figure out things. He still had the PC34 report to take care of. After an hour, he fetched coffee for Eva and himself and came back to her desk. She was perched close to the monitor, four terminal windows open, all streaming data. Didn't know how you wanted your coffee, so I brought you sugar and milk separately. She did not move her head and said, Thank you, Leo. Girl, are you dumping the contents of a database? Leo joked. No, that is my way to check the contents and get an overview. She stopped the stream on each window before she looked away from the monitor and looked at the coffee. Black is just fine, thank you. But she did not pick it up. What are you checking out there, Leo tapped at the upper right terminal window. That is the supply chain database, cross-tapped with the customer projects, good issue and waste management, Eva said. And that gives you What? The last row gives me the combined delta, the leftovers. I do not understand. Why would you need that? We do analytics for the R&D folks. She stared at him. Something going on behind her eyes again. Two hours on the job and she was already looking for excuses, Leo thought. This is one interesting girl. Something is going on here. Is she some industrial spy? It's okay. You don't need to tell me, Leo said. But you are aware that you can lose your job faster than nuns the virtue in, uh, well, if you snoop around in the wrong data. The look. The blinking. I was not. Thank you for pointing out. You are welcome. Seems you are doing all right on your own already. I try my best. Again the small brief smile. Leo was in heaven. Leo went back to his own work. Eva stood up and looked over the partition, just top of her head and eyes visible. Legion Analytics orders large amounts of special proteins. Yeah, they use it for the biochem stuff, nutrition fluids for the bacteria cultures, Leo explained. That. Additionally, you convert it into a protein cocktail and resell it. It may say something like that on our homepage, yes. What's so special about that? The company you resell it to does not exist. Leo stood up as well, looked left and right, but they could not be overheard. He folded his arms, looked around, but the people sitting next to them were already on lunch break and no one could overhear. Are you really a database admin? You sound more like an FBI agent. If there was ever a poker face, this would be it. She, too, folded her arms. I am a database jockey, but I catch things easily. Illogical data constellations, conflicting trends. By staring at four terminal data streams at once, get out of here, threw another Seinfeld classic at her. She blinked at him. You can't fire me, she said almost defiantly. Leo thought about this remark for a second. Eva, if you are undercover on some sort of stakeout, your legend sucks. Get out of here is a common expression. It means I don't believe you. And if you want to remain undercover, you should involve me in your findings. That is not necessary for you to believe me. You are assigned to help me with onboarding, not evaluating my work quality. You are surely an odd duck, lady. I will remain undercover then. Sure, Leo said. She looked at him a little longer. Then her head vanished behind the partition and her keyboard started to click-clack again. Leo stared for a long time at the spot where her head, her beautiful head, had been. Should he say something to the boss or HR? This girl acted very strangely. He glanced over to the boss's office, but he was not in. Can I ask you a question? Eva and Leo took a walk around the parking lot in the afternoon to get some fresh air. The site was lined with large palm trees, so the walk took place mostly in the shade. Eva had not been hungry and Leo tried to shed some weight by skipping lunch altogether. Now with Eva at his side, it was an even easier task to ignore the grumbling of a stomach beast. He felt totally inadequate beside her. A fat hippo beside a sleek feline. An undercover question. Sure, fire away. That's why I was assigned to you. Nothing to do with the databases. Your front parking lot is Humongous. Leo gave it a glance. It was surely a large parking lot, but he had never noticed. What do you mean? Your campus has one building, five stories high, approximately holding 800 employees, including guest spots, maybe 900 parking spaces needed. Welcome to America. Thank you. But your front parking lot can easily hold double that amount of cars and you have 200 more spaces in the back of the building. Why this overcapacity? Man, you have a knack for noticing the strangest things. First fake customers, now parking lot splendor. She gave him another strange long look. You don't know the answer? I don't know the answer. I wasn't even aware of the question. Just asking. You are a remarkable woman, Leo teased her. His courage was picking up. The longer he was with her, the more confident he got. Eva set up a troubled face and bit her upper lip. A very sexy expression. You think so? Don't worry. I'll find out about your parking lot observation. Leo has the right man at hand. I will ask our facility manager, Herbert... This is it for this week's edition of The Transport, the sci-fi action thriller written and performed by Alex Ames. If you liked what you just heard, leave a comment in whatever platform you downloaded or listened to the podcast. If there are stars, star me, help me spread the good. And again, my shameless self-promoting plug, if you liked it so far and can't bear the suspense, buy the book. If you can't bear the suspense, buy the book. And another shameless self-promotion. If you liked what you heard and think that many of your potential customers might be listening to this podcast too, feel free to contact me at alex.ames.writing at gmail.com. Or send me a private message on Twitter or Instagram at alexamesriding, one word. The middle section of this podcast could be reserved for you. And that's it, for real. Wherever you are, whoever you are, thank you. Take care. I hear you next time. This is Alex Ames. This was The Transport. Over and out.